Welcome to Plodcast, episode 83. Good to have you with me. Um, thanks for listening. So a newly elected congresswoman from New York, AOC, um, has proposed, she's been, nothing if not brash, nothing if not uh, confident and kind of out there, and nothing if not ignorant, has proposed uh, what has been called the Green New Deal. The Green New Deal. What this proposes is that we take the threat of climate change with the utmost seriousness that it deserves and that we take radical steps to save us to save our lives and these radical steps would be basically within 10 years or so get rid of airplanes um, get rid of um, farting cows get rid of um, all you know all of these things that are contaminating uh, our atmosphere and heating up the planet and climate change, right? And this is supposed to be the moral equivalent of war. This is, this is supposed to be uh, a crisis, and it's the kind of crisis that means we have to take draconian measures and we have to do it now. And if we don't do it now, we're all going to die. Now, uh, here, this is the thing. If, if you were to implement this, um, uh, this program... It would reduce the number of cows, reduce the number of airplanes, reduce the number of internal combustion engines, would do all that. But would it reduce the size of government? Would it reduce the size of government? Well, no. Uh, and, and herein we have found the reason for all this. Uh, it would radically increase the size and scope and extent of government. It would radically increase it. So uh, why does that make me suspicious? So um, some, someone runs up to you on the street and says, the Martians are coming. The aliens are coming. Uh, the aliens are, I just saw them outside of town. They were landing. Give me all your money. Um, you might say, well, let's, um, can, I do, can I do some checking first? No, no, there's no time. You must give me all your money so I can, uh, so I can invest in this alien fighting machine that I've, that I've uh, thought of. Uh, if you handed over your money under those circumstances, you would be a fool. And, you, and this is particularly the case if, if this is something that happened every, every spring. If the same person ran up to you and said, quick, give me all your money, uh, aliens have landed north of town. Last year, it was give me all your money, aliens have landed south of town. The year before that, it was give me all your money, aliens have landed east of town, and so on. Uh, did anybody remember... Uh, the coming winter back in the 70s, the coming ice age. Anybody remember? Anybody remember that? These people say uh, are, are are saying in effect, we've got this disaster coming, and we've got a plausible story about this disaster coming, but the solution is always the same. The solution is give me all your money. The solution is let's grow the power of the state. Let's grow the size of the state. Um, if someone like uh, Congresswoman uh, AOC were to say, you know, my whole I'm a socialist. My whole life I've wanted to uh, grow the size of uh, government. That's been my approach. But this is a crisis, and we can't afford to be ideologues. I, I propose that we legalize everything because it's this is a crisis. Um, we, we need to um, let the free market tackle the uh, the problem of greenhouse gases. If she went counter to her standard um, uh, MO, 
when it came to politics. If she said something that was directly opposite what you would expect her to say, that would at least bring me up short. I'd want to listen to the rest of what she had to say. But if it is, it is, if it is as predictable and as um, cliched and hackneyed as these uh, <laughs> repeated, constant, perpetual calls for increasing the size of government because we have to we have to guard ourselves against climate change. No, I'm just not sorry, just not buying it. The green new deal? No, it's the green raw deal. So we come to the book review section of podcast episode 83. A book I recently finished was um, a modern edited version of John Owen on mortification. Uh, John Owen's, uh, this, the title of this version is Overcoming Sin and Temptation. Uh, this was edited, uh, admirable job editing by uh, Justin Taylor. And there's another guy, I for, I've forgotten his name. So Overcoming Sin and Temptation. Now, uh, John Owen is great at, at slicing it thin, th- slicing it fine. He's, he's capable of dissecting um, dissecting the motives of the human heart. And one of the, one of the most refreshing things about this um, book, if you want to call it refreshing, is that it is obviously the case from the beginning to the end of it that John Owen hated sin. John Owen hates sin. He hates all its wily little tricks. He hates its hiding places. He hates the evasions that we come up with to uh, allow ourselves to continue in sin. And uh, this struck me because there, there has been, for a number of years, like Charles Finney was one example, but there's been in certain segments of the evangelical uh, church a, a streak of perfectionism where it's assumed that it's possible for us to reach or arrive at sinless perfection. And I've had some dealings with people who, um, who argue this, who, who want to maintain that it's possible for us to, strictly speaking, obey the command, be perfect as your Father in heaven is perfect, um, and that we can arrive at a state of sinless perfection. The thing that strikes, just before you do the exegesis, before you get into the, the various passages of Scripture that talk about this, the thing that's striking about reading John Owen is that he says, uh, uh, well, for example, he says, a man should not think he makes any progress in godliness, who walks not daily over the bellies of his lusts. Um, John Owen hates sin. And and the thing that is, um, the in the in the debating framework, in the in the way that the debate between the perfectionists and the non-perfectionists is set up, the perfectionists want to uh, present as though they are the ones who give no quarter to sin, and that the non-perfectionists are the shruggers, the the ones who say "que sera sera." We're we're all going to sin anyway, so you, we might as well roll around in it in a little uh, a little bit, um, but. The tone that Owen takes against sin, the hostility that he displays towards sin, is far more rigorous and sustained. It's a rigorous and sustained hatred of sin, as opposed to some of the perfectionists who, are, who by comparison, are lackadais- lackadaisical about it. 
So um, I, I knew that I, this is one of those books where I, I knew that I needed to have read it. I needed to have read it a long time ago and, and somehow had never gotten, to, gotten around to it. And um, I'd bought uh, this edition of, uh, of Owen's Overcoming Sin and Temptation. It had been sitting on my shelf for years. And I finally decided to pull it down and, very, um, uh, and work through it. And I'm very, very glad that I did Overcoming Sin and Temptation. I believe it's published by Crossway. So we're still here in the midst of Plodcast episode 83, and we come now to our hamartiology section. The word anoia is translated as A-N-O-I-A. Anoia is translated as madness in one place, and his folly in another. In Luke 6.11, the word describes the, the scribes and Pharisees and their reaction to Christ's healing of the man with a withered hand. Jesus uh, whipped them into a froth. So because Jesus saved a life on the Sabbath, they were determined in their defense of Sabbath to take Christ's life. And they were filled with madness, it says. And they were filled with madness and, com- and communed one with another what they might do to Jesus. So Jesus healed a man on the Sabbath, and they, they resolved to kill a man on the Sabbath. Madness is a good way to describe it. Because Christ should not have healed a man's hand on the Sabbath, they joined hands in a murder plot on the Sabbath. There's no problem, apparently, conspiring to commit murder on the Sabbath. And there is a problem with stretching out your hand to heal a man with a withered hand. Then in 2 Timothy uh, 3.9, this same word is used to describe the same kind of false teachers as Janus and Jambres were, running headlong into corruption, reprobation, and folly. Um, this is something that we ought to uh, remember when, when we're watching the evening news or when we're checking our news aggregator websites. Sin is madness. Sin is insanity. When, when Nebuchadnezzar grew lofty in his pride, God struck him, and he uh, ate grass like a cattle for you know, seven, seven years. And when his sanity returned to him, uh, Daniel describes that sanity returning to him in, um, in terms of Nebuchadnezzar recognizing that God is in his heaven and that he rules all things from that place. Sin is madness. Sin is lawlessness. Sin is insanity. You've spent a pleasant half hour with podcast proprietor Douglas Wilson. This podcast is produced by Canon Press. Please take a moment to subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform. To hear more from Doug, please visit canonpress.com.